This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've been in private practice now over 25 years. I started this podcast about three years ago. It'll be three years actually in October because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be well acquainted with psychological issues. Maybe you're even in therapy. To those of you who might have been recently diagnosed with depression or anxiety or you've run up against a relationship problem that you're struggling with, and to those of you who might think you would never darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough to listen in to self-work. One listener wrote to me the other day and said, there should be a fourth group that you add, those of us who can't afford therapy. So I guess I should. I want to say, however, there's a caveat there that this is not therapy. There are other therapy podcasts that make sure they announce that from the very beginning. I'm not quite that worried about it, but it is important to understand that therapy happens in relationship with a therapist. And so if this is therapeutic, that's great. Some of you have also told me, however, that it feels like we have a personal relationship, and especially with those of you who've emailed me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I really enjoy those emails and encourage more of you to do so. It's taking me a little more time to get back with you, but I hope you'll reach out and let me know why you listen and what you like or ideas for other podcasts. Today, we're going to be talking about personality disorders. What exactly does that term mean? Does it mean that someone's personality is off-putting or self-destructive? Is it different from mental illness? And if it is, just what's the difference? We'll talk briefly about the 10 personality disorders currently, quote-unquote, diagnosable by the official diagnostic manual of psychiatry known as the DSM-5. These disorders are divided into three clusters, meaning that the disorders within the cluster share some traits which cause them to apparently naturally fall together and will identify therapeutic techniques that are showing some promise in treatment for these particular disorders, at least for those who come into therapy and can try to see themselves and their patterns more clearly. Starting this discussion, however, I want to emphasize That even though some of these disorders, left unrecognized, undiagnosed, unaccepted, or untreated, can cause an immense amount of stress and damage in relationships and in life, in no way am I asserting that having a personality disorder makes anyone less valuable. It's not only the person trying to love someone with a personality disorder that can struggle. I wouldn't wish some of these problems on anyone. It makes your life very difficult to lead. Personality disorders are tough really tough, and are often linked with abusive childhoods, terrible or neglectful parenting, family or genetic factors that the individual actually had no control over. You don't choose to be borderline or histrionic or schizoid. You just don't. So that's an important thing to keep in mind as we talk more about personality disorders. Our listener email today, which is a regular feature of self-work, is from someone, a listener, who's been 
in a mostly, as she calls it, emotionally abusive relationship. Her husband's suffering from severe anxiety and anger issues, and she knows she's caught in a cycle. She's in therapy, but having a hard time talking about herself. So I hope this will be very informative to you as we try to discover the difference between the personality disorders, what they are, what they entail, and what you can do about it, as we always stress on self-work. What is a personality disorder? I looked up the definition that the Mayo Clinic gives it, and I quote, A personality disorder is a type of mental disorder in which you have a rigid and unhealthy pattern of thinking, functioning, and behaving. A person with a personality disorder has trouble perceiving and relating to situations and people. This causes significant problems and limitations in relationships, social activities, work, and school. In some cases, you may not realize that you have a personality disorder because your way of thinking and behaving seems natural to you, and you may even blame others for the challenges you face, thinking, there's not a problem with me, it's the way I'm perceived. So, what does all that mean? Basically, if you have a personality disorder, it's a story you tell yourself about what's okay for you to do or say or be, or what you think is normal is vastly different than the culture you live in and doesn't help you function well within that culture. It's called a disorder, a personality disorder, because there's going to be conflict or withdrawal or chaos that's expressed in most, if not all, of your relationships. But let's go back to what I mentioned in the introduction. This kind of rigid system of seeing yourself and others wasn't a choice. And it's not only the person trying to love someone with a personality disorder that can struggle. Now, as a therapist, I know that many people who are trying to love those with personality disorders are often the first to come into therapy. And they bring with them their partner, if he or she will come. But it is not a happy or fulfilling way to live. And, as I said in the introduction, it's not a choice. Interestingly, there's recent research, and there will be a link to that research in your show notes, that shows that those are drawn to or involved with people with personality disorders, for example, borderline personality disorder, can themselves have problems with what's termed attachment, healthy connection, healthy intimacy, healthy conflict resolution. Perhaps their problems aren't as dramatic as someone with the personality disorder, but they are present. In fact, the coupling of someone with borderline personality disorder and someone with narcissistic personality disorder is found more than you might think. With the cycle of the narcissist love bombing the person with borderline, then withdrawing, which triggers her intense fear of abandonment, and you can have two people constantly at war with one another. So... It's important for each person to take their fair share of what the problem could be. However, again, people with personality disorders are sometimes not the most insightful that something could be wrong. Let's think of diagnostic labels being used for good as they add clarity and context, not as a way to hurt and demean. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's go back to the information about personality disorders. There are three clusters. First, what's called cluster A. These disorders involve behavior that seems unusual and eccentric to others. For example, paranoid personality disorder. 
schizoid personality disorder, and the third, schizotypal personality disorder. Let's talk about these three briefly. Someone with paranoid personality disorder finds it very hard to trust others. They might convince themselves that people are lying to or manipulating them, even when there's no evidence of this happening. It's different from paranoid schizophrenia, which involves a more severe psychosis, maybe hearing things or seeing things that aren't there. Now, these folks are hypervigilant, afraid, distrustful, often stay angry over perceived wrongs or abuse, and they'll believe that you have a hidden agenda. About 2 to 4% of the general population in the United States may have this disorder. Schizoid, which is S-C-I-Z-O-I-D, only affects fewer than 1% of the population. Others may see someone with schizoid personality disorder as aloof, detached, cold, or a loner. They tend to work much better alone. They dislike social interaction. They may appear withdrawn, and they don't know how to form close relationships, and may even have odd, if not inappropriate, reactions to situations. And then the third, schizotypal personality disorder, also may have few close relationships outside their own family, but they're a little different. This is someone who has odd beliefs, like believing a commercial has special significance for them, or what's termed a magical thinking, like a a belief in telepathy. Their speech can be very elaborate or metaphorical. Their actual appearance can be eccentric or peculiar, and they're very anxious people. This often can morph into schizophrenia, but it's not cause-effect. So you can hear the unusual behavior and eccentricity of these cluster A disorders. Now let's go to cluster B. These disorders feature behavior that's very emotional, dramatic, or erratic. And therefore, antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, histrionic, and narcissistic personality disorder. Borderline and narcissistic personality disorder are probably the two most well-known personality disorders here. Let's first talk about borderline. This person will have trouble controlling their emotions. More women experience it than men. The fear of abandonment is intense, and there can be rage or withdrawal when it's perceived. Mood swings can be rapid, where you are treated one way one minute and completely differently the next. Feelings are intense no matter what they are. Someone with borderline personality disorder can engage in self-harm or lots of risk, self-destructive behaviors, as they try to feel an emptiness that gnaws at them. And if this is you, you can dissociate or have chronic suicidal attempts or gestures or threats. Sometimes borderline personality disorder is hard to distinguish from bipolar 1, which also has lots of mood swings. But I don't think bipolar 1 necessarily has this intense fear of abandonment and emptiness. One of my patients called it the black hole inside my soul. Someone with histrionic personality disorder feels a need for others to notice them and reassure them that they are significant. The category itself is not as well-defined as others, but it's basically someone who's pretty self-centered and has a strong need to be loved, but can also have somewhat immature ways of getting their needs met, like a lot of drama or even being flirtatious. Their need for others' attention is greater than most. And interestingly, there's some overlap with narcissistic personality disorder. Again, we're going over these very quickly. I'll have links where you can read more extensively if you're interested. Narcissistic personality disorder features a sense of self-importance and power, which is covering up horrible self-esteem and weakness. 
But what do they look and sound like? They look like people who crave attention and seem to believe themselves to be highly important and attractive and successful, when that may or may not be rational at all. This is sounding a little like histrionic, isn't it? Except they're not perhaps as needy on the surface. People with narcissistic personality disorder have little to no capacity for empathy. This is also true of borderlines, actually. And yet are hurt and feel rejected easily. They can be highly impulsive and manipulative, using what's termed gaslighting to manipulate those that are trying to love them, basically discounting and demeaning the reality or the emotions of the other person. And I've done an episode on that fairly recently. And again, it's not known why, but there are more men than women who have narcissistic personality disorder. Now we get to antisocial personality disorder, or what is sometimes called sociopathy. This is the person who acts without regard to right or wrong, or without thinking about the consequences of their actions on others. As most personality disorders, it begins in childhood, and in that childhood can look like delinquent or violent behavior, someone who's always seeking something edgy or new, like they constantly need stimulation. Again, this is more men than women. These are folks who the rules don't apply to them. They can be very cold and emotionless, but they also can turn on the charm when it's to their advantage. Around 1-3% to of the general population has antisocial personality disorder, but around 40-70% to of people in prisons have it, according to research. And now we'll move on to cluster C personality disorders. These are disorders where anxiety and fear underlie the disorder. The three are avoidant, dependent, and obsessive-compulsive personality disorders. A person with avoidant personality disorder avoids social situations and close interpersonal relationships, mainly due to fear of rejection and feeling that they are not good enough. They may appear extremely shy and socially inhibited. They may want to develop close relationships with others, but they lack the confidence and ability to form relationships. Obviously, this could be worsened, even if they have the genetic tendency to develop this, this could be worsened by a neglectful or abusive childhood. They feel tremendous inadequacy, find it hard to trust, and hate conflict. Someone with dependent personality disorder have an excessive need to be taken care of by others. They don't make decisions by themselves, and thus these people can be manipulated easily. Like borderline, there's a lot of fear about abandonment, and these folks will stay in abusive relationships because of it. They will appear passive, clingy, or submissive, and they highly resist being alone. The last we'll talk about is the obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. It's not the same as OCD. There's no hand-washing or counting things, that sort of ritualistic behavior, but they do have to follow the rules and the patterns of behavior that they have established. There's an excessive concern with perfectionism and hard work that dominates the life of the person with obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. They can appear very inflexible. They need to be in control, have to always follow the rules, especially their own, and they expect others to do the same. There's lots of trouble with mess or disorganization. They can't delegate. They can be irrationally frugal and hoard things. Interestingly, they also find it hard to finish a task because it's not perfect. They come across as obstinate and better than thou. I had a case with someone with OCPD 
several years ago, and I'll never forget what brought him into therapy. He had resisted. His wife was a patient of mine, and she'd been trying to get him into therapy. It was only until his toddler son, who might have been, if you call a four-year-old a toddler, I guess you do. Maybe that's a little too old. But his four-year-old son was sitting on the deck with his own parents, and one of the rules of the house was that you don't scratch the deck with the chairs. And the grandfather just slightly backed his chair up on the deck. The four-year-old jumped up and yelled at his granddaddy, No, granddaddy, you can't do that. You might scratch the deck. And he realized what he was showing his son and came in for help. You know, on a more positive note, it's interesting to think where these different disorders may actually benefit folks at work or even work well in certain work environments. Someone with schizoid tendencies would do well as a veterinary assistant, perhaps, or in a quieter environment like a library, or someone in IT who doesn't have to interact with anyone face-to-face. I want my accountant to have some OCD tendencies. I want a surgeon to expect that the operating crew will follow protocol. I've had many people with significant borderline symptoms do very well in highly structured settings where they're needed and important. In fact, one of the aspects of borderline is that they seem to have the ability to morph into whatever is needed, sort of like a chameleon. It's when the situation becomes less clear, when it's more about intimacy, when the boundaries are more vague, that they can fall apart. And frankly, there's a certain amount of healthy narcissism I want in people who are giving me advice or maybe even saving me medically. I don't want them to overestimate their abilities to help me, but I want them to believe that they can. I probably would never do this podcast or have ever started blogging if I didn't have my own fair share of healthy narcissism, meaning I have enough security in what I'm saying to put it out there for public consumption. So let's talk about what you can do about it. Can people with personality disorders actually change? My best answer to that is maybe. It's very hard work. You have to rewire your thinking, channel your emotions differently, question the way your own mind works. And not all the disorders are as amenable to treatment as others, at least at this time. For example, someone with paranoid personality disorder can easily distrust any therapist who tries to help. And someone with any social personality disorder, given the presence of a lack of conscience, you may never treat or treat for long, someone with ability to think of themselves as above certain moral or ethical codes. That can be a huge problem in dealing, for example, with sexual predators. But there's no way around the fact that the damage done to relationships can be intense by one or both people having a personality disorder. I've seen parents who've had to change their locks on their homes because a child is stealing or lying or causing chaos at holiday functions. And children have to deny their parents access to their own children because of caustic manipulation going on while they're not present. But with time and effort, I've seen it happen. People whose mothers or fathers struggle with personality disorders in their early childhood or even in their entire childhood can sometimes see positive changes and reconciliation can occur if indeed there has been estrangement. Usually it's because the person with the disorder has received treatment of some kind and has taken responsibility for their impact on the ones that have tried to love them. But other times, frankly, the damage is too great and relationships can remain permanently estranged. Most therapeutic sites will mention cognitive behavioral therapy as the most viable option for treatment for personality disorders. 
and DBT, or dialectical behavior therapy, was especially created for those with borderline personality disorder. There are handbooks and workshops and specialized DBT therapists trained in their techniques, and their research shows some really good progress and success. So, the best thing you can do if you're someone who believes you have one of these personality disorders is to try to find someone who can guide you to some insight and understanding of what's going on, how it got started, so you don't get hurt by it, and others that you want to love don't either. And then if you've been attracted to someone with one of these disorders, especially in cluster B or in cluster C, please recognize in yourself what's going on that you were attracted to this kind of person and begin to lay claim to what you can do about your share of the problem and the conflict. That's really all you have control over. I will have some books in the show notes that I've given before on other episodes, but here it is all in one episode, all about personality disorders. Here's our listener email for today. I've been listening to your podcast and reading your articles on The Mighty for a few months. I just listened to your podcast on leaving an abusive relationship, and most everything I heard rang true. No one knows what my relationship is like but me, and I'm ashamed that I've stayed so long and allowed it to continue. I've been married for over 20 years. We've separated one time, but there have only been short periods of time over those years that have been abuse-free. Mostly the abuse is emotional or verbal. My kids are grown, and one suffers from depression and anxiety. I'm the one that talks or handles everything for that child, so I'm not only stressed by my marriage, I'm stressed about my child as well. There are major issues with our child right now, and I just can't talk to my husband because his anxiety, although it would appear that it would cause him to be empathic, he is not, and I just don't want to hear his attitude about it. So I started seeing a therapist a couple of weeks ago, but I feel that's just not enough for me. My husband and I have been fighting a lot since the first of the year, and I just don't know how much more I can take. He's very apologetic for everything and wants to start over again. Yet he said this more times than I can count, and I know he means it at the time, but I know the same things are bound to happen again. I don't feel I should have to give up all that I've worked for, upset our kids, lose my house and belongings, just everything, because he can't control his emotions when he gets anxious and angry. I used to believe that he could do it and be able to forgive and move on, but now I find myself knowing that it more than likely will occur again, and I've had enough. I just can't leave. What do I do, and how do I decide? So I say, so many people are caught in the position you are. You can't imagine. I got my start in the therapy world when I volunteered for the domestic violence shelter in Dallas. I learned there just how hard it is to leave an abusive relationship, where the trust is gone, but there are promises that things will be better. And you're right to realize how many changes there could be in your life. And since you've been abused, I imagine that your own ability to trust your judgment or even your own competence has been damaged. There's a book called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay that might be helpful. But you also might try Lenora Walker's The Battered Women Syndrome, and I'll have those links in the show notes. I realize that you may not have been physically hurt, but the cycle is the same. Good luck with your therapist. Remember, you only started two weeks ago. That's not much time. My guess is that you are much more accustomed to focusing on your children than yourself, so it makes sense that that's what you're talking about initially. 
Please think about yourself and your own needs. Your child will benefit from you finding some peace or hope or whatever you can. And she wrote me back. Thank you for replying. I took your advice and read the book over the last few days. I can't say that I've made a final decision on what I'm going to do, but I do feel that I'm leaning towards leaving. The book confirmed a lot of things for me, sadly. I do think I'd be much happier if I left. I'm going to continue talking with my therapist about all this. I just hope I can find the courage and strength to do what I need to do. I never dreamed in a million years I'd be where I am right now. There are so many people who are in this boat, and it is a very difficult one. I've included an article that I wrote on my website in the show notes, and there's a podcast on this too right now. I can't find it, but I will find it and put it in the show notes because this is a very, very difficult decision. I myself divorced a man that I felt I still loved because there was abuse in the relationship, and in my own sense of self-worth was getting more and more damaged. It was far from an easy decision to make, and I didn't have any children. So I have a lot of empathy with just how hard this decision is. Thanks so much for listening to Self Work today. Again, I've already given you my email, but it's askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can join me at my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, and subscribe there, and you will get a weekly newsletter with my blog post and this podcast on it. So it's a really easy way of keeping up. If for some reason the pop-up does not have that right now, we're doing a Goodreads giveaway, and I think that's the pop-up. All you have to do is go to a blog post and it will pop up. The normal pop-up will happen. I know those pop-ups are really irritating, so I try to limit them as much as possible. But I'd love to have you as a subscriber. Also, if you're interested in Perfectly Hidden Depression, you can go on and sign up for the book that's going to be published November the 1st by going to perfectlyhiddendepression.com. Join me over on Instagram. I'm doing a series called What I've Learned as a Therapist, and I'm really enjoying it. Or you can join my Facebook group, which is almost at a thousand members, at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I'd love to have you there. Take very good care. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.